When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you could save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your moves. Welcome to Real GM Radio. I'm Daniel Luru, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. This is the first of the division-specific episodes that we're doing for Real GM Radio. This one is on the Southwest Division. I have two guests that recorded together. is Ed Mazinette of the Sports Fan Journal, SB Nation, Slam, as well as Jonathan Charks of Real GM. And so we start out with the off-season interview. So we go into what teams got better or worse, and specific transactions, a lot of talk about Dallas and Houston. And then the second half is on the season preview. So we rank the te- each of us ranks the teams, and we get into a lot of other fun topics. We even get outside of the division at a couple points. We talk about the best coaches in the league and the best players in the league later on. The conversation as a whole runs about an hour. I really was had a lot of fun doing it, and it will made me even more excited to do the other ones. But this one is great in and of itself. Hope you enjoy it. Thank you guys both so much for coming on. Thank you. I'm excited to start with the Southwest Division because it's a division that's actually had a lot happen. And one of the ways that I wanted to start is with a really basic question in some ways, which is, and we'll start with Jonathan, who do you think got better this offseason and who do you think got worse of the five teams? Well, I mean, who got worse is pretty obvious in Houston. They lost a bunch of pieces and didn't really add much besides Ariza. I would say uh, who got better the most? I'd say probably New Orleans, just adding Omar Ashik to basically nothing. They got I think a pretty solid team. I'm higher than the most, I think. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree with uh, John's take on New Orleans. I mean, the biggest thing New Orleans did is they got healthy. I mean, they're going to have Drew Holiday back. They're going to have Tyreek Evans fully healthy. Anthony Davis should be able to play a full season. Anderson as well, and then they're able to add guys like a sheet to that lineup. And I think it makes a big difference. Um, but as far as the team that I think that improved the most, I would actually probably go with Dallas, um, just because I think the revolving door of centers that they had on their team last year. I mean, good God, they were playing Samuel Dallenbear real minutes. Like that is just terrifying, right? So you know, to get Tyson Chandler just to solidify. What they're going to do next season, I think, is going to take a lot of pressure off of Dirk Nowitzki and Monte Ellis so that, you know, when they have to funnel defense, they have somebody back there that can actually, like, defend the rim. So that'll be good. 
And Dallas is going to try to make a push. I think they, they made a lot of good improvements in the offseason. Um, and I think the Southwest is going to be fun to watch next season. I'll say this, though, as like a Dallas guy. I know everyone's really – the Mavs have got a lot of positive press. But I think they're going to miss uh, Marion and Vince more than most people realize. Those guys are like, I would say, probably the, the second and third best players in this team last year. Well, I guess Mons was up there, too. But they were really, really important. And they're going to be missed, I think, more than people kind of see from the top glance of it. Marion, for one, crazy. he guarded four positions, and he was so decent on offense. He was pretty much the glue that held the entire defense together. He's got cards for Dirk, Calderon, and Monta. I think I'm a tough time facing him. And then Vince, Vince is one of the flat-out most underrated players in the league, in my opinion. Vince was good at beating the fans of the air last year. He's going to be huge for Memphis. One of the things that really surprised me when I was kind of thinking about Dallas's offseason is that I think they got better, too. And I'm not sure if they got better by as much as New Orleans just because of how many pieces they lost. But Dallas has five rotation players on their team last year that aren't on this year's team, which is shocking for a team that I think we all think got better. Right. Well, I mean, yeah. and, and, and we, we, have to, we have to remember, I didn't bring up, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what they do with Chandler Parsons. I actually think it's going to be good for Chandler to be able to be a guy that, hey, at 6'9", if they need to go small, they can funnel and go small with Chandler. He he can essentially do what Vince and Marion did. I'm not saying he's as good as them, but he takes up some of those roles um, because behind Chandler Parsons, I mean, I'm not banking my money on Richard Jefferson or Al Farouk Amino or any of those guys. Uh, but they've got this interesting thing where they've got like the six foot three all stars on their team with like Monte and Jameer Jameer Nelson and Fat Boy Felton and Devin Harris all on the squad. And it's like, they're all like my height, which is terrifying. But at the same time, having to guard those guys coming off screens is, is going to be an interesting new wrinkle for, for that team. And to your point, like, yes, they are replacing a ton of guys. <clears throat> but I also think they have a couple of guys that can probably step in. I'm going to be interested to see what Jay Crowder does because I think he's going to be able to continue to stretch the floor and play more minutes as a, as a big body three um, to help him out. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see how they transition into the new season. Yeah, that would be a big question for them. You mentioned the six-foot-three all-stars. Because, yeah, they've got four guards for the ball pretty small. They're going to have to have Jake Carr defend these bigger twos and threes in the West. And to be honest, I'm not sure he can do that. I think, really, he was hidden by playing through Vance last year. I don't think Jay is really an NBA caliber player. Like, I, I think he's a guy that you don't watch him very often. You see him put up kind of like a decent stats, doesn't kill too many out there. But he doesn't do anything very well. He's not very fast. He's more of a 3-4 than a 2-3. He's only a decent shooter. I mean, it doesn't really matter. Jay's going to make a tenth man. But he's a guy I think that non-Maz fans will realize he's not very good. But that's, that's really the general there. I actually am a little bit higher than most on the fit of Al Farouk Aminu on the logic that you're not going to ask him to do much on offense. I think that if you were asking him, and I think this was actually in some ways a problem with New Orleans last year because of their health, is that they, they needed him to do a little bit more. They needed something from the small forward, power forward from that spot. Dallas has plenty of offense. They have Chandler Parsons. They have Dirk. They have Monte. They're going to be fine there. And even Tyson Chandler, depending on how they run their offense, should be good. I think that if they use Aminu properly and give him 15 to 20 minutes to just basically say, okay, you get their best scorer and just make his life hard, I think that that's a really good use of him at this point in his career. 
Yeah, the lean to replace kind of what Marion did a little bit in terms of being versatile defensively. I think the thing with Dallas I'm going to be watching really closely is there's three, I guess there are three main guys, the Dirk, Monson, and Parsons. And if you have those two guys on the floor, can you play defense at a good enough level to actually beat the best teams in the West in a seven-game series? I'm a little skeptical. That, to me, is the, the biggest question for the Mavs, are those three guys can hold their own. Who's the fifth guy out there to balance that lineup? I'm not really sure they have that guy right now. Well, the thing I look at with Dallas, too, is like you, you have to start asking the question as far as how much more do they think they're going to be able to continue to get out of Dirk? And along with that, how – you know, they have to play through the ups and downs of Monte. So saying all that, but I think by far the most important player on that team is, is Chandler Parsons, for sure. Because I think, like we've talked about, they're having to replace guys like Vance. They're having to replace guys like Marion. And they're going to need Chandler to kind of be a chameleon when it comes to those roles. And, you know, I'm not saying that he's able, again, to be like that defensive guy. But I think he's going to be able to provide them that flexibility. And I think he's going to get the opportunity to score more in this offense, too, just because of the way Carlisle likes to use his wings. And he can do he can he's probably gonna play more minutes than he did prior in, in Houston as well. Yeah, I could see Chandler going for like a twenty five and five season. That seems like possible to me. He, yeah, I think absolutely. He might end up being the most important. Yeah, I think you're right on that. Because Dirk will be taking a step back again this year. Every year he gets older, he's he'll probably only play like thirty minutes a night, thirty one minutes a night. So they'll need Parsons to play thirty five, forty a night and have the ball in his hands a lot. So I could see him deciding the best statistical year. The other thing about Dallas that I think about a lot is, and and I'd like to hear both of your opinions on this, is that I think that Rick Carlisle is one of the five best coaches in the league, and I think you can make an argument that he's substantially better than five. I think that you, he's up there. And when I, I've talked about this before, but when I rank out teams on talent when the season starts, Dallas is a team that I always move up a tier just because I think he's that good a coach. So while I think there are some flaws with this team, I have more faith that they will iron them out than most other teams. Well, I'd be interested to hear first. I mean, because you just threw it out there. Are you willing to go on record and say who your top five coaches are? Let's see. I mean, Popovich is obviously number one. And we're talking active coaches here, obviously. Right. Popovich is there. Uh, I, I'd say Spolstra is in my top five. I don't know exactly where he is in the top five. I just know that he's in there. I'm trying to think of who the other ones. I think Carlisle's in that group. I'm really intrigued by Thibodeau and Vogel. I think Thibodeau's probably there, but I want to see him coach a team that can run that can run that offense. I think this year will clarify that. I'm trying to think about who else would be in the conversation. I'm sure uh, I love Terry Stotts, but I'm not sure he's top five. It's interesting. Who do you, I, I, who do you think I'm forgetting? I, I was I was thinking probably. I mean, of course, Scott Brooks. I'm joking. No, uh, I, I was I was expecting you to put Rivers in there, Doc Rivers for sure. I think he would probably be my one of my top five guys, maybe a, maybe even ahead of Spolstra. I know that might sound crazy, but I would probably put Doc ahead of him, at least for the time being. And I think everybody else you, you, you probably nailed right on the head. I'm waiting for one of those Spurs assistants, maybe, you know, Budenholzer. I, I can't remember if Stotts came from the Spurs, and I could have that wrong because I think Stotts is emerging for sure. And then, of course, I got to give some love to my boy here at Oakland, Mark Jackson, but he's not coaching anymore because he is the master motivator. And I just want to give him some love because we we miss him out here in Oakland. I guess Danny's good on that too. But, like, from watching him in the playoffs, I always did a pretty good job. Both years he had the Justin the fly. He lost to me the first year. He was Barnes to the four. Got the one up and down. Last year, putting Jim on the starting lineup, 
I feel like he did a pretty decent job in Oakland, all things considering. I was a little surprised he didn't went out so quickly, but I don't watch them all that closely, so. The Warriors were a weird situation. Ed can speak on this, too, because he covered a lot of the Warriors as well. I think that Jackson did certain things really, really well. I think he was an amazing motivator of, of men. I think he was a great leader. I think that the guys played very hard for him. But he had these kind of weird flaws that made it a problem. And when you think about the way that somebody like, let's say, Joe Lacob wants to run a team, you know, they have more experience as a CEO and the way that a leadership structure works, Mark Jackson's biggest problem was that he didn't work with that leadership structure. He was going to do his thing. He has supreme confidence, which in a lot of ways is a really good thing. But that can be a problem when you are not the alpha and the omega in your organization. And strangely enough, despite the way that a lot of us think about it, in most systems, except for incidentally maybe San Antonio, that isn't the coach. No, I, I think that makes total sense. Like, for me, I think coaches get a little too much publicity among, like, the media and NBA guys following. Like, a coach is a coach. You don't want the players and you don't. Like, I would go to state, for me, the question is David Lee is playing power forward. That's the question that makes the team go up or down, not who's the coach, really. I feel like, at the end of the day, you have the players and you don't. Like, Carlisle's probably a top-side coach, but since the Mavs look at the team three years ago, they didn't want to play off series. The coach can take you so far. Exactly. I think that's a good point. Oh, I, I was looking at the list of coaches in the league, and the one guy I forgot because he's just back in is Stan Van Gundy. I think Stan Van Gundy's in the top five. I love him as a coach. I, I love watching his teams, and I think he's a very talented guy. So to go on record, Danny LaRue has nine coaches in his top five. Okay, cool. No, I have it's – defi- <laughs> it's definitely – oh, oh, I forgot to explain why I don't have Doc Rivers. I think Doc, Doc Rivers, like Mark Jackson, is a great motivator. I worry a little bit about him as a tactician. I think that he does an excellent job, like Phil Jackson, with very good teams. But I worry a little bit about how he does with teams that aren't as good. And that there's a very specific benefit to that. Oh, the other guy – I would say is definitely my top five, so I could rattle it off now, is is Hornacek. I, I, when I watched that Suns team, I thought, this is a really well-coached team. So then it would be Hornacek, Van Gundy, Popovich, obviously not in this order, Carlisle, and for now, Spolstra. But Spolstra is uh, shaky right now. Yeah, I would say it's more like, it's not as important who the top five coaches are as who the bottom five coaches are. It's like past a certain extent, a coach is a coach. Is you don't want a coach holding your players back more than anything else, which brings us back to our old friend Oklahoma City. I guess we're getting off track from there. <laughs> yeah. uh, the other team in, in terms of offseason that I wanted to talk more at length about that I think is particularly fascinating is Houston. And the first part of it, we'll get into the other parts of it, is I feel, and I don't want to lead the discussion necessarily in this way, is that I feel that for what they have, Ariza over Chandler Parsons might be an upgrade in the short term because I think what he does makes more sense with who they have. Do you guys agree with that in the short term, and what do you think in the long term? We'll start with Ed. I mean, dear God, you got to have somebody that can play defense, right? If, if, any, if Ariza's going to bring anything, he can, he can play, absolutely play defense on the wing, and Patrick Beverly doesn't have to be a crazy man trying to get everybody to play defense on that roster. I mean, yes, they did lose Chandler Parsons. They did lose Jaseek. They also lost Jeremy Lin. And they've got to, I think, the, when they played Portland, they got exposed to the fact that they couldn't, that not only could they not guard anybody, but defensively they had zero chemistry. And I think Dwight Howard probably deserves even more kudos than what he, uh, what he gets because he was, he might have been the only reason why they were able to hang in as long as they could. So 
I'm intrigued to see what Houston's going to do. Like, we, we put this pressure on Houston that they have to be this brilliant team coming out the gate. When, you know, we, we look at what happened with Miami when their big unit came together and, like, you know, it took them some time. It took them two years to get it right. I think, you know, we look at what happened with the Boston Celtics in 08 and we're like, that was a match made in heaven and they had veteran guys that knew that the time is now. And I think Harden and Howard, they still have a lot of time to figure it out, uh, to get it right. And I think getting a guy like Ariza who can balance that team defensively will be big. But my biggest question on the Rockets, too, is, look, man, I don't know how good Kevin McHale is as a coach. I don't necessarily think he's a bad coach. I would even go so far as to say I'm pretty sure he's an average coach. But I don't know if he's the coach to get a team like this over the hump. He reminds me to a certain degree of someone like Brooks, where he seems almost overwhelmed in certain moments, and that's concerning to me. And I don't know if I'm the only one that that's observed that, but I do wonder what how long his tenure will be in Houston for the next couple of years. I mean, I think definitely he's on the hot seat this year because they'll have to if they don't do very well, he'll be the obvious guy to kind of upgrade it up. But I think yeah, I, I was saying the Rockets are declined the most, but I, I think I agree with you guys. I'm not sure they're gonna be that much worse. Because Ariza can replace is much better on defense. I think they can replace his possessions from Parsons. To me, it's my guy Terrence Jones. He's the X factor for that team. I think he's a freaking. I think he's a stud. I think he's one of the best up and coming young players in the league. I think if he gets a chance to get the ball run through and have some offense, he can be a 15, 16 point a game guy and be that third wheel and do what they need. And if he gets going, that'll fix a lot of the other problems they have with the rest of their roster. The other part of the Houston equation that's so weird, and this gets into Mikhail as a coach, is that while they lost Omer, and Omer's biggest value is that they had a good center when Dwight Howard wasn't playing, whether that be injury or just when he's literally sitting, is that I think they really misused Ashik last year. They tried that experiment a little bit in the regular season and a little bit in the postseason with playing those two together, and it does have its limitations, but I felt like Mikhail moved off it too quickly. Lynn, I think it had a more clear role on last year's team, but he was also more replaceable. And I'm not sure that Isaiah Cannon is the guy, but it's entirely possible that Nick Johnson is the guy. I really like Nick Johnson, but the benefit of a point guard when you have James Harden next to him is that you're not asking him to do as much as everywhere else. So I think that their talent is worse, but I'm not sure their talent is worse in a way that is going to substantially hinder their regular season success. Yeah, there's one team that's been able to find guys on the fringes for Rockets. Like, they've always been able to dig through D-League, dig through Europe, and get guys and get them 15, 20 minutes again. Like, Troy Daniels will probably play in the goal for them next year. And if Nick Johnson or Isaiah Cannon can't do it, they'll find somebody else who can. Like, the world's running low on 6-2 scoring guards. There's plenty of them out there. Yeah, I, I the one thing I would mention with Houston and they and they really didn't replace a Sheik at all with anybody. I mean, they're actually, in my opinion, they're actually kind of thin at the big man position. I mean, I know they have Monte Yunus and they're gonna give him more of the load this year um, to kind of be that backup big man. But unless I'm forgetting somebody that they added to this roster, I mean. They've got backups like, you know, Jeff Adrian and Joey Dorsey. And as as Joey Dorsey as the guy I remember having the jumper cable braids back in Memphis and, and Josh Powell, like they're not they're not exuding, getting any confidence um, from me. So to me, that means that they thoroughly expect Terrence Jones to take ownership at the power four spot. And I, I think he's 
you know, he's got a lot of Lamar Odom in his game at that Tim Thomas style where like he, he, he can play on the perimeter and he's really versatile, but you know, if he catches the wrong matchup at the four, you know, he could be a problem because we saw what happened. Now, to be fair, it is LaMarcus Aldridge, like, if not maybe one of the best power forwards in basketball. But, I mean, Terrence Jones could not hold up at all. And I no, think that, that, was a, that was a bad matchup for him, no doubt about it. He got yeah, really bad. Yeah, for supremely bad matchup. So you wonder, is this going to be a team that's going to have to make another move? We remember them being in the Kevin Lovesley stakes for a little bit of time. Um, and so you wonder what if Maury still has any, any tricks up his sleeve moving forward. Well, to me, the guy at the conference here is Jones is Josh Smith. I think he's like, he's like Josh. He's not as that's much of a shooter. That's yeah. 6'9", 2'50", lefty, 35'40", invert. He can ball handle, put on the floor, pass. That, to me, I think is the guy he, he can end up being. And so to me, like, with the one who this year is, like, Terrence Jones runs some offense when Dwight's not on the floor and let him have the ball in his hands and do, do his own thing. Kind of play, move the ball to him at the four spot, and that's the way I move the next step forward. That was a great point on Terrence Jones. I'm not sure he'll get there yet, but the other potential answer for their front court is Clint Capella. I had Clint Capella from the limited amount I got to see of him and also translating what he did in Europe. I had him as a top five player in this draft class, and he fell. I think he was the 25th pick. And what's nice about him is that he can block shots and he can rebound. So if, I don't know. If you can, He's so raw, yeah. though. Man. He's so raw. He's so raw. But if you can get 10 a game from him, 10 minutes a game, not 10 points, 10 minutes a game from him, that would be nice. I guess if Joey Dorsey ends up playing on Mason Capella. I mean, I, I didn't watch Capella play that much. I stumbled with him some of Like, this guy is probably two, three years away from me. I feel like, because he only has to play 10 minutes again, so we'll see. Maybe. Well, well, I mean, so I, well, I was at Hoop Summit in Portland, the Nike Hoop Summit, for those who don't know listening to the podcast. Pretty sure y'all know. But he, it, I was, I put it like this. I was astounded when I heard he was adamant that he was going to play in the NBA this season. And I think that's the reason why we saw the, the way the draft shake out and a team like Houston was like, okay, well, let's let's jump up to get him and let's see if we can figure out a way to give him some space on the roster. I thought it was just intriguing that they did that. And so, yeah, Danny, to your point, if they could give him 10 minutes a game, then that's cool. But I would be surprised if he starts he at least half the season, maybe in the D League, in my opinion. I just think he's still he's still so raw that he's got a lot of stuff to just figure out, you know. But hey, who knows? Like you're not asking everybody to be an All Star as a rookie, so um, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. But the other thing I think for guys like that is that interior defense is one of the hardest things to do in the NBA at a high level. If that's going to be a role in a team, like that requires so much like mental ability. You're basically the quarterback in the back of the defense. You have to be able to read coverages, know the other team's offensive schemes. And you have to be able to bang and freaking Goliath. Like, you have to play against 7 foot two seven like every night almost. So I think, to me, I would be surprised if Clint Capella or any kind of young, those young raw shot blockers, I don't think really, they have a hard time, I think, coming to the right away. Can I ask a question? Neither one of you can answer it. But do we think Dwight Howard is, is capable of sharing whatever wisdom that he has defensively to those guys behind him? Because, I mean, we've we we we've never seen him take on – like, we've always expected, like, when he was with the Lakers, like, Kobe's like, I'm going to teach you how to win. And we saw how that had an effect on their relationship because he got out, out of there and went to Houston. But, I mean, wouldn't it be nice to see Dwight Howard say, hey, look, Monte Yunus, hey, Clint, let, let me show you all how to play defense. Or is that just something where he's just such a natural, athletically gifted guy that we don't even we don't even think of him being able to do that? 
I mean, I think you could definitely help. You can definitely show them things. But so much of that is just like, when you get into the league the first time through, you just kind of react to what's going on. But the best defensive players are anticipating the action. And they're right. thinking ahead. Like, that's what Marcus All does. He's thinking one or two steps ahead of the game. And a young guy coming into the league, the game is so fast for him, that's almost impossible to do. And the big test for that, in some ways, for me, even though he's not in this division, is going to be how Nerlens Noel does, because I've seen him as being a very interesting, instinctive defensive player, and we'll have to see how the adjustment in talent, and having a year off in some ways, because that'll change things, how that works, because I think if it's going to work for somebody defensively, it would be somebody like Nerlens. And I think you're right on, Dwight, that for whatever reason, it hasn't been conveyed. The other thing that I wanted to, to ask you guys on this note is last week on the podcast I had on Arturo Goletti and the guy that he suggested to coach the Rockets, given the personalities and all that is really interesting, but for the fit of the team, he wants D'Antoni to coach this team. And I wanted to hear what you guys thought of that just conceptually. I mean, I feel like D'Antoni's a pretty good coach. So he gets kind of a bad rap how it ended in LA and that wasn't really his fault. But I mean, I think you can get five or 10 guys in there with less baggage. Him and Dwight get along. I feel like they didn't. So that might not have been a very good fit. Well, I tell you who would love having Mike D'Antoni there would be James Harden, even though James Harden is, is, is capable of doing so much as it is right now. Uh, we've seen what D'Antoni can do with those guards. And look, man, I just think that Houston is in this weird situation that, you know, hey, they, they've given this money to Harden. They've given this money to, to Howard. But they've got to also maybe figure out how to develop those guys on that roster. And I don't know where that development is going to come from uh, because I thought the development was Parsons. And, you know, they they bangled that, excuse me, mangled that situation. And now they had to slightly downgrade to Ariza. So if you're unless you're going to have someone in there that can move the chess pieces around, which I would say that Dan Tony is a better mover, mover of chess pieces than – Mikhail, then, you know, you got to figure out how we're going to grow the team. And, you know, I think just like John said, Mikhail's on that hot seat for a reason. And if he can't not only develop those big guys and develop some continuity with that team, then they're going to have a real problem. Well, I mean, I think one way to go to a team is, is just Harden. He's still only, what, 24, 25? Yep. I mean, obviously he can do better on defense. I feel like he played pretty good defense in Oklahoma City. I mean, at the very least, Brooks made him guard LeBron in that finals, which didn't work, but it said Brooks trusted the hardest defense to even try it. So I think he still has a lot of to grow as a player, and that's one way they can definitely still improve. Well, the fun, the interesting thing about that, too, is yes, because he did <laughs> – good God. Now I just had flashbacks. This is great. But, yeah, we, I mean, we remember those moments when James Harden was valiantly trying to guard LeBron James, and LeBron just went bully mode and, and, and got him out the way. But at least he tried, and he was doing a pretty decent job. And I think the biggest thing that Harden has realized, at least, at least initially, is that, hey, I'm a 40-minute-a-guy player, and I'm going to pace myself like a 40-minute-a-guy player. And he then realized, too, that means I'm just going to stop playing defense. And, and you know, it doesn't. Look, it looks like he almost clocks out mentally. So, yeah, I think he's going to have to take on that challenge to be, hey, I'm going to try to be a defensive stopper, or at the very least, I'm going to have to be a defensive contributor. And we used to say that about a guy like Kevin Durant, where, hey, man, if you want to be the best in the world, you're going to have to play some defense. And lo and behold, Kevin Durant started actually playing some defense. I wouldn't call him an elite defender, but he's capable of guarding threes, fours, and some fives on a given night, and he'll give you a valiant effort. 
And I think that's all we're really asking for, James Harden. If that little little bit of difference can be made, then I think it can make a big difference for Houston. Well, I think, like, for me, that's been the watch in these world championships, is to see Harden in defense in this setting. That could be a big boost for That's something I think, to see how he does in a smaller role, kind of get him back on that side of the floor, and whether that can propel him on the next season. Yeah, and there are two other factors with Harden that I think are going to make this season different. One is if Beverly starts then you have some different flexibility, and also with Ariza, because you can now pretty much put Harden on your worst guy. The other concept that I want to see Mikhail try is, you see certain defenders, and incidentally another guy that I feel this way about is Monte Ellis, that lose attention. It's actually better to put them on the primary ball handler of the other team, because it's harder to get lost. If you're on the guy with the ball, it's pretty hard to lose him, Mm -hmm. because he has the ball. And I think that Beverly's versatility in all of this could lead to, I mean, you don't want to put him on Chris Paul, obviously, but if you on those kind of weaker point guards that exist some places, you put Harden on that, guy, on that guy and basically say, you know, don't screw up so badly, and also Dwight can handle those kind of messes. I think those are easier to handle than if James Harden just walks off into space and leaves his guy open in a corner three. Dwight can't do anything on that. So I think that a system that used that, and incidentally, Team USA can't do this at all because it looks like they're going to play a perimeter team that has no defense, right. which has its flaws. But <laughs> Mikhail and the rest of them for the Rockets could actually minimize Harden's lapses. And I also think, I agree with, with what Ed said, that he's right about at the right age where he might start to figure it out. And as John said, he's pacing himself a little bit more. Maybe he can realize that as long as he's not an idiot on defense or not lazy, you know, as long as he get, gets to this, this low baseline that he's not a sieve, he'll be a huge help to his team. And I think that would also lead to probably better relationships in some ways with his teammates because while I've never played high-level basketball, obviously, I do think that that would be hard to take as a teammate if you had somebody who just seemed like they didn't give a crap on one side of the ball. Hey, look, man, if I'm James Harden's teammate, I'm making fun of him in the locker room. Like, say, bruh, they got a clip on YouTube of you getting lost on defense for 12 minutes. I'm making fun of him all the time. Now, I do it playfully because James Harden probably makes a lot more money than me if I'm on the team because I'm clearly the 11th man on the roster just knowing my own personal skill set. But what I am trying to say is, like, he has to know. And even in talking, when I talked to Damian Lillard last week about this very thing about, you know, when he gave up that shot and they transferred – excuse me, they switched off and Parsons hits the, you know, has the game winning shot hit on him. You know, Parsons was like, look, man, like, you know, this is, this is just how it goes. And so like, we understand as a team what we're capable of doing. And so you can see them trying to, uh, you know, accommodate for where they're weak. And so, you know, it's like when you go to the doctor and you're favoring one leg versus the other, it throws the whole body out of whack. So that is to, to your point, Danny, they have to get that right. And I think Harden is a good enough leader to make that happen. And it'll be interesting to see what type of rise in his game he sees playing in the FIBA World Cup. I want to end the kind of off-season recap with a couple of quicker questions. And so we'll, I mean, if you want to expand, obviously you're free to, but also we'll start with Jonathan. Who do you think will be the best newcomer in this division? Ooh, best I mean, I guess I'll say Parsons, because he'll put up a lot of stats this year. So I'll go with that. No, no, I'll say Asik. I think Asik makes the team a much better team. So I think Asik really boosts the Pelicans for him. I don't want to say Chandler, 
I don't want to, I mean, I, I'm probably going to have to lean Parsons just because I think he's going to have that type of responsibility put on him to to perform immediately. But I think, interestingly, to see what Ashik's going to do in New Orleans, because, look, from multiple conversations, including a conversation I had with him, he wants to play the four. He wants to be a four in the NBA. And he's finally going to have a legitimate dude that lets him do that. So the rise of Anthony Davis could coincide with just a little bit of responsibility being taken off of him because Omar Sheik is there. Yeah, I'm going with Davis and a Sheik. That should be something. Like, I think they were like bottom five in the league. Like, if you have those two guys on your back line, you should be a top. top right. Three. Yeah, I think that the the Pelicans, I think Omar is going to have a fun part because if the Pelicans are good, I think he's going to be a very big part of it. I think the Mavericks can be good without Parsons dominating, but Anthony Davis is obviously amazing, but to have a reliable dual defender on the interior for even just for crunch time, because I think they'll play both of them in crunch time, is going to be huge for that team. Because their offense comes and goes a little bit. I think Tyreek will be better this year than he was last year. But that's going to be big for them. We'll move on. Uh, instead of picking who you think the best rookie is going to be, because I think that's kind of silly, the rookie in this division that you are most excited to see play in the NBA. To me, it's uh, Kyle Anderson. I'm not sure what kind of role I'm having San Antonio. I think he's a really, I think he got a pretty unfair rap in the pre-draft process. Everyone's like, oh yeah, he's just a bad athlete. But yeah, McDermott was a lottery pick. I mean, Anderson's as athletic as McDermott was. He's much bigger, so. I think he's a guy, if he's going to roll in that first game, he should really be able to watch in that system. I, I think I'd have to go to my Arizona allegiance. I, I think Nick Johnson's going to push for us to play. I actually think, there's a part of me that thinks that in a year, Nick Johnson could probably take Patrick Beverly's spot just because he's going to be able to do more and he's such a good athlete and he could probably still develop as a point guard um, and play. Um, and putting him next to someone like James Harden makes me reflect to the days of Oklahoma City when he used to play next to somebody named Russell Westbrook. So I'm going to, I'm interested to see if Nick Johnson can stick in Houston and really make a difference because I think if he can do that, then I think he could probably push for a starting role. Yeah, I think those are two excellent choices. I'll throw in Capella because I'm excited about him, but I don't think he's going to play much. I think that they're kind of two edges of the coin. I'm most excited to see Kyle Anderson play, but I don't think he's going to play very much. Nick Johnson, his upside is amazing. And I don't think, and I've said this for a long time, I don't think Nick Johnson should be running an NBA offense, but they're not going to have him do that. He, mm-hmm, he doesn't need exactly. to. So he could just, all he has to do is just cause havoc. And if he can yeah, do that, that was- it'll work. That was a perfect spot for him. One more guy I'll put out there that's not getting much publicity is out of Memphis, Jarnell Stokes. He's yep. a guy who's got an NBA body, he's got an NBA skill right away. He can't shoot, but in Memphis, that two-post system, he can kind of step in right away and get in there behind Zach Randolph. And he's the guy, he's a problem physically for the NBA fours the way the league is going. I mean, I've, him and Randall were going at it for a couple times this year, and he's just as athletic and physical as Julius Randall is. He wasn't a second round. So that's the guy... Kind of edge your radar, keep an eye on. Hey, I love Stokes. He's a bully, man. He's 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 everything I wish I was as a basketball player. He's great. <laughs> love that guy. And not only is Stokes a bully, but I love Marcus All. One of his strange weaknesses as a monumentally great defensive player and as a really nice offense player, he's not a great rebounder. And I think that Stokes actually complements that well beyond the whole lack of shooting thing that he he can be that defensive rebounding bully that lets Marcus Gasol be the defensive guy that he needs to be. So basically, Gasol, you know, do what you need to do to stop the other team. I'll get the board. 
And that's a really nice thing to have. A lot of teams don't have that in their power forwards, especially as the league has moved towards stretch forwards. Like if you want to imagine Chandler Parsons trying to trying to get a rebound away from Jarnell Stokes, I, I don't think that would go very well. Well, of course, the other way is he has no chance of guarding Chandler Parsons on the perimeter. So we'll, it's interesting to see how he's going to do in terms of this new NBA and how a guy his size fits into like the new paradigm of the league. The last question in this in this part before we transition into predictions is any other transactions, anything that happened in the summer with these five teams that stood out to you that we haven't talked about? I think what John talked about earlier, just with what uh, Memphis is, is doing with adding guys like Vince Carter to that team, just another veteran. Like we now we we don't as someone who's who look, everybody knows I've been on this podcast long enough. Y'all know I go hard for Oklahoma City. I do. This is what I do. This is the only reason why Danny even likes me because he thinks it's entertaining to have me talk about the Oklahoma City Thunder from time to time on his podcast. I get it. I'm here for it. And lo and behold, I already understand that when the NBA playoffs roll around and Oklahoma City get a one seed, who's going to be sitting there at number eight licking their chops waiting to play us? It's probably going to be the Memphis Grizzlies. And now they're going to have somebody like Vince Carter on that roster, someone that can do it all so that when Tony Allen goes crazy and gets a technical foul, Vince Carter can come in and play the two. When they invariably don't get anything out of Tayshaun Prince again, then they're going to throw Vince Carter in at the three, and he's going to be able to do work there. And, like, they have Gasol. They have Zach Randolph still. They got this young fella, Stokes, who who is the living embodiment of what I want to be as a, as a basketball player when I grow up, even though I'm older than him. You know, they just got this team that I just hate, but I love them at the same time. So they do these little things that just continually keep them above the fold. And I'm just I'm just such in awe of how, of how that team is put together. So I don't know if that was the best transaction, but it's those types of transactions that continually make me mad at them and yet makes me appreciate them for what they do in the NBA, especially as a smaller market franchise. Yeah, I guess I'll just second that. I, I don't think there's any question when the playoffs start, Vince is in their – when the game closes, he'll be in their five on the floor because he can do so many different things well at his age. It's really impressive. But he's just much more all-on player, all their wins they have now. So Vince really upgrades their, their final five at the end of the game. I think he'll probably play 25 minutes regular season and will have a huge role for that team. So that's, that's I think, is an underrated move that has big-term down-the-road consequences. We talked about this one a little bit, but the other one that, that I think deserves a lot of attention is the addition of Tyson Chandler to the Mavericks. Uh, we don't know how much he has left, but if they can get a full season of relatively close to healthy for him, I think there's an outside chance he's a contender for Defensive Player of the Year just because of how bad the rest of their team is defensively. It's the same kind of logic as Dwight. You know, if if it's one guy is keeping them afloat, then that's really impressive. We don't know how much he's going to play. We don't know if he's going to be yeah, healthy, but... Tyson Chandler is Tyson Chandler is just such a useful piece when he's healthy, and I think Carlisle is going to use him well offensively as well. Yeah, because he doesn't have Samuel D'Alembert anymore, and like any team that doesn't have Samuel, what you call him? Did you call him Sammy D earlier? Did I hear you say that? I I, I don't ever want to hear that again. That was so bad. Oh my god. Yes, like they don't have Samuel D'Alembert anymore. So God bless them, and I'm excited to see what Dallas looks like when they get back. We'll transition from recapping what already happened to previewing what you think is going to happen. And we'll start with Ed with this. And this might be easy. This might be hard. I want you to rank the five teams in this division one to five. See, Danny LaRue, you think you're slick. You're not slick, brother. See, I've already got this prepared because I think 
the division will probably break out exactly as it did the year ago. I could see the Spurs as as winning the division. I could see Houston, Memphis, and Dallas neck and neck, two, three, and four. Hell, they'll probably win 55, 54, and 53 games respectively. And I'm intrigued to see what Houston's, I mean, New Orleans is going to do. They have a payroll that suggests they should make the playoffs. And I think in any other time in NBA history, they would easily at least be a seven seed. But it'll be interesting to see the increase of Anthony Davis's game, see what Asik's going to do, see what Aaron, uh, Tyreek Evans and Eric Gordon will do healthy. Because I think if they don't perform or they feel like it's not working, I could see either one of them getting on the trade block, and then it'll be interesting to see what they do to tweak that. But unfortunately, I still think New Orleans finishes last. Okay, yeah, I mean, it's tough. I think San Antonio has to be the top of the heat. They're one. But to me, two through five can go any number of ways. I don't think there's – also, Houston is still two. I think Dwight and Harden kind of push them up above the rest. But to me, even then, three, four, and five, I could see it go any direction. I, I think New Orleans is as good as any of the other teams in San Antonio in this division. I, also, I think it's one of those things because, like, they were so injured last year. They never really got much credit for the team they put together. But if you look at one to six, one to seven, and you go the top ten players: David Ashik, Anderson, Drew Holiday, Tyreek Evans, Eric Gordon. They all play different positions. They all fit together pretty well. That top six up there in the team in the league, in my opinion. So like right now, I think I'll say New Orleans goes three. But even though I'll say I'll say go San Antonio, Houston, New Orleans, Memphis, Dallas, just to switch it up. But I think it is, I think Dallas played the least defense of the bottom four teams. I think that's going to cost them. But I'm seeing really, I think it'll come down to injuries. I think it always does. Whoever stays healthy will be the best team. Yeah, I agree that it's going to come down to health because to me, on pure talent, I think Memphis is the second best team in this division. I think that their pieces make sense with each other, and that's as somebody who hates their swingmen. I, I, I legitimately, I mean, Vince Carter's fine, but you know, they're they have the weakest small shooting guard, small forward, other than maybe the Pelicans because the Pelicans just have so many shaky guys. But the the problem with Memphis is that they're incredibly top heavy. If they lose any of their top three. They're dead in the water. We saw that last year with Gasol. And they, their other guys are fine. You know, Tony Allen's a decent basketball He's a good basketball player. He's more defense. So in terms of how I think they'll finish, I'm going to go, obviously, San Antonio won. I think they get the, – the, 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 it's so obvious that we're just not talking about them much because they're they're just that good. And then beyond that, it's Houston second. I think they're going to finish second despite having the third most talent. I am going to say Memphis third – New Orleans fourth, Dallas fifth, but as you guys have all said, it's just tough because they're all good teams. And that leads into the next question. You don't have to name them if you don't want to because we, we also already know you're ordering. What is your best guess, and we'll start with Jonathan on this, of how many teams in this division make the playoffs? See, I, I really want to say all five teams make it, but I don't think that ever happens. I, I guess someone's going to have to fall out. But right now, I, I don't even know. Because like, you used to all five teams make it. Look at the rest of the West. There's like nine or ten really good teams. So... I'll say four teams make it, and I'll say the team that's least healthiest ends up missing out of those bottom four. Yeah, I mean, I I was looking at it, and I was like, well, there's a scenario where I could see all five. I think I think it's a given that if we say if injuries are no issue, which we know that's not usually the case, but if injuries are no issue, I think you look San Antonio, Houston, Dallas, and Memphis, they all get in. I think if something happens to Golden State, 
the Clippers, Portland, you know, even Oklahoma City, just, you know, depending on how things shake, then you could maybe see Memphis getting up there. I think, so if we're talking about the 10 teams, I think you have Phoenix in the Pacific Division as that other team that's really going to push uh, New Orleans as being which team's going to rise, and maybe even Denver just because they're going to probably be healthy again, and it'll be interesting to see what Brian Shaw does with a healthy roster. Um, but I'm, I would say four, New Orleans is probably the odd team out unless Anthony Davis takes the leap that we all want him to take. Then it could be different. Are we in agreement that if this was a top 16, regardless of what division or conference the team was in, that all five of these teams would make it? No. No, just because of what I said. I think if you ask me right now who's better, Phoenix or New Orleans, I would probably say Phoenix. So I don't – But I think, I think in a top 16 they're both in. I think in a top 16 there are at least 10 teams from the West End, maybe up to 11 or 12. I think like that's if you pretty fair, but, you know, whatever, right? That's the world we live in, so. It definitely is the world we live in. The other big question with this division is more on an individual level is what player or players, you can pick whoever you want, do you think will break out, meaning that they reach a different level of fame or success, however you want to define it, from where they are right now? So it could be, you know, a guy like Anthony Davis becoming a superstar, whatever you want to say in that, but the guys to watch, in your opinion, in this division. Okay, well, I mean, we've him a lot already with Terrence Jones, so I won't go into that again. But I'll say Drew Holiday. I don't think he gets enough credit for all the things he can do. And him being hurt last year kind of took him out of the spotlight. But to me, he's as good a point guard as almost anybody in the West. He's so big. He's a versatile player. He can shoot, defend, rebound, get his own shot, run an offense. I think Drew could be the second or best player on a playoff team. That's why I think they will make the playoffs. Drew can't, he's still only like 24 years old. To me, he could be... I mean, I don't think he's that much worse or better than, like, Damian Lillard or Mike Conley. I think he's as good as those kind of players in terms of right below your Russell Westbrook, Chris Paul in the, in the West. See, this is interesting because I think if you asked this question last year, I think everybody says Kawhi Leonard, right? I think this year he might not be statistically that much better, but the way this team is built, I think he's going to have a demonstrably bigger role just being the guy, just being Kawhi. elite. Yeah, Kawhi. Being the guy, being even more of a leader, having more responsibility put on him by Popovich. Uh, because, you know, like we've said this for seven years or however long it's been, but this team is still getting older. And I would, you know, Kawhi Leonard won the MVP in the in the finals this year. And He's, I think he's ready now. Like, I still think he was still figuring out, figuring his place out. Um, I think it was probably too much to ask if he was going to be like that breakout player because people were saying, oh, he's going to be an all star and this and that. And like, I just don't know if he's ever going to have a chance to have that role unless Ginobili or even Duncan or Parker come down. But I think he's going to, he's going to be a bigger leader. And I think that's what makes the Spurs scary is that if he's able to become more of a leader and just take his game up slightly in a couple of areas, then then it becomes a really intriguing prospect for what the Spurs do moving forward. Well, yeah, you look at him in the playoffs, he was at 14 a game. I think if he gets even like 15 a game, he'll be an all-star team for sure. Just because I think he made a leap in the finals last year being the MVP. He's probably ready. He's looking to kind of get any more publicity. But I, I don't know, at 12 a game, he'll have to be at probably 15. But if he gets that, I think he'll be an all-star pretty easily. The other thing is, as much as we don't like to think of it with individual players, is that the West did open up a forward spot with Kevin Love going to Cleveland. So 
I think that the problem is there are a lot of flashy power forwards. Obviously, Blake Griffin, if he's alive, will be on the team, and guys like that will do it. But I think Kawhi will deserve it, and I think people will talk about that for the first time. In terms of one of the ways I like thinking about it is who's going to become who's going to jump in fame the most, and to me that's Chandler Parsons. I think Chandler Parsons is at that level where he's got a little bit of buzz. He's going to be Mark Cuban. He's going to be on Mark Cuban's team. Dallas usually gets some positive coverage, and Dirk is obviously still a magnificent player. He's going to score a ton of points, and whether we like it or not, scoring a ton of points is a very important part in determining whether somebody's going to be famous or not. And I think that that will be major for him. And while I can't pick a single player, every year somebody from the Rockets does it. And they go from, uh, there's always somebody who goes from nobody knowing their name to them being notable. And somebody who goes from being kind of popular on the fringe, like on the, the hardcore fans to becoming more known. I think Patrick Beverly did that last year. The Rockets just do that. I have no idea who it's going to be. It might be Isaiah Cannon. It might be Nick Johnson. I hope it's Nick Johnson. I think he'd be more fun. But somebody's going to do that. Yeah, I mean, you look at Parsons, he's never even had a 20 usage rating in Houston. He's always like a third or fourth banana. And yeah, being in Dallas, he'll get a lot of time to get the ball in his hands. He'll put up a lot more stats. You look at how Monster kind of got pushed up the perception playing in Dallas last year. And yeah, Parsons is going to put up numbers. It's going to make people take a notice. But I imagine there's not going to be two all-star spots coming to Kawhi. But I think he'll still end up being kind of behind Kawhi in the publicity department. I, I will say this. If James Harden is a believer in what he says, and we know he says a lot of things, but if we believe what we're saying on this podcast, that we feel like he can get incrementally better as a defender, um, and if he has another level to take his offensive game, I think you could look at him as a possible real MVP candidate, and I don't think it's, I don't think that's too, too much to even think about. So I know that Harden's already a star, but let him make a superstar run. Let him make an MVP run, uh, a run at the MVP for real. And we look up, and Houston has 60 wins. The the level of the beard could 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 be uh, a really fun experience moving forward. Well, I feel like if Houston has 60 wins, it'll be more to Dwight to Harden. But yeah, I mean Harden was already first team All NBA. I think he's easily the best two guard in the league now with Wade getting older and Kobe being Kobe isn't even older. So yeah, he's going to be 25 next year, which is really kind of a guy at the peak. That's definitely possible, too. Yeah, I think that there are one of the fun things about this division is there the other guy who could become an MVP candidate seemingly out of nowhere is Anthony Davis. I think he's that good already. It's terrifying. when you. One of the things that I like to do is I like to look at how a guy is doing relative to how other guys did at the same age because you can kind of think about how careers go. Mm-hmm. Anthony Davis is one of the best players ever for his age. And generally, the guys who are in that conversation at age 20 and 21 turn out pretty good. You know, they don't they don't always, you know, some guys, one of the guys, when you look at those kind of things that did really well at a young age was Andres Biedrins. So, you know, it doesn't always turn out, but the track record for truly elite young players turning out is very good. And one of the things that I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about when we want to get done here soon is one of the parts that I like about Anthony Davis is that. He's a really great player in a kind of different way than a lot of other great players because he's not that anchor of a defense like Tyson Chandler is. And hes I don't think he's necessarily that number one scorer guy. He's just really good at a lot of different things. He's a great rebounder. He's a really good scorer. He's one of the best pick-and-roll overall guys in the whole league. His jump shot's getting better. And I wonder if it's going to be harder for him to be appreciated if he doesn't fit any of those traditional roles. 
Well, I mean, he puts up, his statistics already are so high, I think people give him enough credit. I feel like that's pretty well out there now. People are saying he's the third best player in the world. That's pretty a pretty common opinion, which, I mean, he might very well be, but it's weird that it doesn't really turn into the Pelicans' success. Everyone's going to, like, cause to me, if Davis is the third best player in the world, they're a playoff team. Because you look at the pieces around him, then he really has no chance to be a playoff, not to really make the playoffs, the guys he has in his roster. If he's going to be that good right away, which he very well could be. Yeah. Look, man, this is a dude that just started being a big man, like, what, four years ago? I mean, he's in, what, year three at the Pelicans? He he was, you know, he played one year at Kentucky, and he went from 6'2 to 6'10 in, in a, what, 18-month span in high school? So that's the crazy thing. He's still figuring it out. And he's got all those guard moves, and he's able to handle, and he's got, you know, I think the cool thing in watching Team USA um, in particular is, like, he's had the freedom to shoot at range as much as he likes. And that's pretty cool to see. And that gives that team, that Pelicans team, some flexibility to do what they can with Ryan Anderson and, and Davis and Asik on that front line and make them really interchangeable. So I think on one hand, yes, we're going to see Anthony Davis be a better defensive presence. On the other hand, it will be cool to see how does he operate game to game to say, okay, can I get 30 a night? Because I think he, that's what that team's going to need, too, is they have a lot of scores and guys that can score, but they are also all the type of scores that they need to feed off of somebody else. And to your point, Danny, AD is really good at everything, but it'd be cool to say, I'm going to show y'all how I get my money, and I'm going to get it consistently here and then watch the team feed off of that. And we need to see if Monty Williams can help get that team to the promised land and be that coach that we've heard that he can be, but we don't know if he can actually do it or not. Well, I think also you say with, that's a good point with, like, guys fitting off other guys. AD, that's really the – you're still only 20, but that's the stuff you have to take next, I think, is making other guys better. Because right now, he only averages, like, 1.5 assists a game, and the defense are, like, bottom five in defense in the league. So you want to see him really make guys better on defense and make guys better on offense. That's really, to me, take the next step for his game, where he could be an MVP kind of candidate doing those things. Agreed on all counts. Uh, are there any other topics you guys want to discuss for the listeners? Hmm. Danny LaRue, who are you? Who from this division are you looking forward to seeing when they come to Oakland uh, this season? Anthony Davis and the Pelicans. I, they're a team that I'm still trying to figure out in my brain, and I think that I'm going to watch a ton of them anyway. I think that, you know, they're going to be one of my league pass teams. They're one of those teams. And... I think that they're one that seeing them in person might give me a better idea and also seeing the personality of their locker room because we know how tough the West is going to be. It's going to be brutal, and you're going to need everything to be in sync and be healthy to have a chance. And I think I'll have a better sense of that. I think we know pretty much what Houston is, even though they have some different pieces. Obviously, the Spurs are magnificent. We know that. And Memphis is basically the same team. So I'm really excited to see New Orleans. How about you, John? Yeah, I mean, I think the Warriors is the most interesting team, like, in terms of what they're going to do this year. I guess the question for me is, is are they going to start Tyreek this year, or are they going to move him off the bench? Because they don't have too many other small forwards. But I don't know if he's really best suited in the role he's going to be the fourth or fifth option on the floor either. So I think that's, I guess, that would be their big question for Monty Williams this year, is the rotation, figuring out who, who's their – I guess they're also, they don't have much depth either in the top six. Can they get – is Russ Smith going to play for them this year? Is Austin Rivers going to do anything for them this year? Darius Miller, they've got a lot of guys who kind of need to step up right now, too. 
I already sold the Austin Rivers bandwagon for parts. That happened last year. And as somebody who had him as a top 10 draft prospect in that class, I feel like I have the right to do that. <laughs> as no, sad as that still only, he's still so young, though. I feel like I'm not going to give oh, up yeah. on him totally. The bandwagon can be rebuilt. He just needs to earn it. Yeah, I mean, his uh, per 36 wasn't terrible. He put up points, positive turnover ratio. I guess my problem with him is he's so small for a wing. He might have to be a kind of a backup point guard kind of guy. It would be hard to get him placed in the league is the question. Man, if Eric Gordon can actually play basketball, you'd be a really nice fit for this New Orleans team. Because <laughs> he, yeah. he adds shooting, he's a decent ball handler, he's he's a good offensive player. With I think you can run some pick and roll with him in, in AD, but they just actually need him to play. The other question with them is they have two guys now who complement Davis in different ways. Ashik does a really nice job defensively, and Ryan Anderson does a really good job offensively. Are they going to be able to make that three-headed monster work together? And as I've, I've talked with some people on and offline about, are they going to think about playing the three of them together? Because that would be legitimately crazy and exciting to see if they play Anderson, Ashik, and Davis together at any point for extended periods. Well, they could yeah, do that against Chicago for sure. You know, if Chicago went out there with that front line with Gasol and Noah and decided to put Gibson at the three, I mean, that would just be chaos in motion, and that would be an awesome thing to watch for sure. I, the thing, like I said, New Orleans has so many parts that, like, they don't seem to fit, and they seem to be, to John's point, a lot of square pegs fitting around holes. I love Tyreek Evans. I think he's eventually going to land on a team worth a damn, and – someone's going to unlock his hidden ability to just be a scorer and, like, just a a creator of havoc. Um, But I don't think he's ever going to get that opportunity in New Orleans, and I don't think he should because it doesn't fit what that team does. So who knows how much longer he's going to last there. So Well, he's um, probably a six-man on a really good team, which is probably – the question for me is the time of three-man. Because, like, I've never been a big fan. Like, it sounds good on paper, those three-post offenses, but it's so hard to do. Move a right. end of three, make him defend the perimeter and handle the ball. It almost never works, but if the crew it would be with Anderson, such a good shooter. I think a guy to watch that is Darius Miller. This is really his last chance in the league. They just need a 6 eight guy who can stand in a spot, who can stand in front of his man and shoot threes. That would be really big for them. That's really the piece they're missing on this team right now. I also want to see Anthony Davis defend small forwards because I think he can do it, and that would just be the coolest thing in the NBA this year. If he could actually, if they just say, you know what, I want to see what Anthony Davis can do on even the best guys. Just stick him on Kevin Durant for yeah, five minutes to see would, what happens. I would love to watch him guard Kevin Durant for one game. That would be awesome. No, that, that would be worth, definitely worth saying. Just for one game, for 30 minutes, put him on him and see what happens. I think he could do it, yeah. As a, as, a, as a member of the Oklahoma City contingent, let's just say that we don't want any parts of that. Thank you very much. One of the columns that I write, similar to Bill Simmons' trade value column, but I started writing it last year, is kind of the overall package. And so a guy, his contract, not really trade value, but just in terms of if you were drafting a team, like a fantasy draft for those of you who do like in Madden or whatever. I I wrote this on Twitter a couple weeks ago, and nobody really argued it. I said that given the way contracts are now, barring injury, Anthony Davis would be my number one under those rules, just because he has so much longer under team control. Would you guys agree with that? I mean, like, I don't know. It's one of those things that's like, it makes sense. I can see the argument for that. I, I'm cert- I certainly, you're probably right there, because, yeah, he's, he's under control for longer. So I would think, like, if I was starting a team, that'd be a huge concern. Like, whether he's paying three or getting a max, he'll get a max deal soon enough. The thing, I, I would say, if I were 
you know, it's 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 crazy to think that Steph Curry's like the fourth highest played player on his team right now. Uh and when he signed that deal, that four year extension, because his his ankles are made of chicken you know, chicken wire and paper mache and pixie sticks and any other flimsy material you can think of uh with his ankles and um, you know, he's, he's at such a discount right now that it's crazy. But, I mean, I think, yeah, Anthony Davis is the obvious choice, to, you know, to see where where it goes as far as value is concerned. I can't dispute that with you, Danny. I would take LeBron, actually. I don't even care. I'll take the best player in the world, whatever salary is, and we'll figure it out from there. I mean, I would take LeBron, even though he's getting kind of old. He's a little older now. Here's the last question. If we assume LeBron is the best player in the world, and feel free to disagree with that, how much longer do you think he will be, regardless of who you think is going to take that spot from him? I think he's still going to handle, hold that piece on the mountaintop for the next couple of years. Um, not because his game won't decline. I actually think his game will decline in the next couple of years. I could still see him being the best player in the world for the next three to five years because I don't know if the other best players in the world have enough growth potential in their repertoire to get better. I don't know if Kevin Durant has more that he can actually add to his game to be a better player not win the MVP but to be a better player than LeBron James I don't know if Anthony Davis has enough game and growth in his game to be a better player than LeBron James at least until age 33 34 35 because again we're talking about a dude that can literally do everything at a great if not at a very good level and I think we've seen his game evolve to such that he's continued to become more and more efficient, which is what's becoming scary with what he's doing now back with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Yeah, I mean, that's, I'm with Eddie on that. I would say, I guess, KD. KD has to become like an elite defensive player, an elite passer, to really kind of even be close to LeBron, which is going to be hard for him to do. I guess in terms of if you want to throw out the wall there prediction, I'll say – the player who passes LeBron is Joel Embiid in like four or five years. That's the guy. Woo! There's one for him. Wow. So what I was going to say is that I think LeBron's going to be the best regular season player in the world for another year, but he'll hold on. The Cavs are going to understand that he needs his fastball in the playoffs, and he'll be the best playoff player in the world for another two to four years. I think he has that long left. But I think they're finally going to understand that he got stretched too thin in Miami, and they were asking him to do too much, and they were prioritizing Wade being healthy over LeBron. Cleveland doesn't have that concern. They know that all that matters for that team, considering how wretched the Eastern Conference is, is that little stretch in late April to early June. And I think that he, he might not win many more MVPs, but he I think he's going to be the best player in the world in the playoffs for that 20 games or whatever. And that's in a lot of ways, that's what matters the most. Yeah. Okay, well, thank you guys both so much for taking time. It was a lot of fun to have you on. Thank you, Danny, my brother. Hi, uh, man, yeah. We're catching up with you guys. Thanks again to Ed Mazinet and Jonathan Charks for coming on and recording this episode. You can read Ed at the Sports Fan Journal, SB Nation, and Slam. You can follow him on Twitter. He's a great follow at Ed the Sports Fan. That's E-D-T-H-E-S-P-O-R-T-S-F-A-N. And Jonathan Charks writes for Real GM, and you can follow him on Twitter at Jonathan Charks, which is J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N-T-J-A-R-K-S. And as always, you can see it on the Real GM feed if you have trouble hearing it. I really love doing this, and I'm going to be really excited to do the other five divisions. The second one of those is actually coming up. I am announcing this and recording this on Thursday, and the next one will be 
done hopefully on Friday. It's going to be recorded. It should be up Friday as well, depending on how long it takes to edit. The other ones will come over time. I'm working with the guests right now, and why you haven't heard me say who's on each one is you never really know how it's going to work until it actually happens. So I am really looking forward to it, have some new guests, some people that I've wanted to have on, and the conversations are going to be different everywhere because things changed a lot in some places, and others are a little bit more stable. So it'll be a different conversation each time and two guests hopefully for each one. So thank you so much for listening. If you have any comments or insight on how to make the show better, I always listen. I always appreciate it. You can email me at daniel.larue at realgm.com. Or you can hit me up on Twitter at Danny LaRue. That's D-A-N-N-Y-L-E-R-O-U-X. I read everything. I respond to everything. It helps make the show better because I really do listen. And it was I'm excited that the clicking that was an issue with Arturo Galetti's did not come up in this one, thank goodness. So hopefully that is an issue that has been resolved. And I appreciate those of you who persevered through that one. And this one was great too. The next one will be as well. So thanks to everybody again. Take care and make it a great day. you don't go to geico.com car insurance can be hard like early 90s heavy metal hard i'm yelling and screaming and i'm loud Roar! geico makes it easy you can review and update your policy or report a claim on geico.com or the geico mobile app because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives i'm not even upset about anything